have a lot to talk about this Shabbos. We have Parsha Zacher, and we also have Parsha Tetzaveh. Parsha Tetzaveh, the Parsha tells us about the Big Day Kahuna. That's one of the major themes of the Parsha. And also, in this Aliyah specifically, gets into the notion of the Karban Maluin, the Karbanos that were brought in order to basically give the Kohanim their status and that seven-day process, which is crucial, as the Mephoshim explained, that you can't just come into something like the Kahuna straight. There has to be some kind of a process, and indeed, that's what we find described in this Aliyah. And uh, some of the Mephoshim explain that now that we've heard about all the various parts of the Kahuna, so how do they actually get brought into service? So we'll talk a little bit about some of the details here. It's a uh, machlokis about these karbanos, whether they are brought from Aaron himself, whether they're brought from the Tzibor. But we'll see a lot of details in the Suliyah, having been told all the details of the Big Day Kahuna. And I just want to say a word of introduction, in general, to these parshios from now till the middle of Vayikra, really starting from last week. We didn't get uh, so much of a chance to talk about it last week. But in these parshios, in the end of Shmos and the beginning of Vayikra, so we have a lot of detail about things that we don't really practice Bismanazah. We have all these details about the Mishkan, all these details about the Big Day Kahuna, and we have all the details of the Karbanos here and the beginning of Vayikra. And it may be a little hard for us to relate to because these aren't things that we practice in our daily lives now, and it doesn't have so much of the narrative that we are acquainted with on the Torah up until now. So these parshios are different for us in terms of how we connect to them. But they're a tremendous opportunity also. So I mention this every year this time. It's something to be sensitized to. And there are at least two ways in which these parshios, so the details about the Mishkan and the Gadim and the Korbanos, there are at least two ways in which they give us a special opportunity. So one is that specifically because we are not able to actually put these mitzvahs in practice now, so there's an extra element of learning about them, and that's what Chazal tell us, that that we need to make up for what we are not actually doing, for the parim, as we'll hear about Nisalia, that aren't actually being brought, we make up for them with our lips, with our talking about them, and Chazal tell us, that kal ha'osek v'toras ola ki'ilu hikrivil ola kal ha'osek v'toras shlamim ki'ilu hikriv shlamim that the way that we can connect to actually bringing these karbanos in the absence of that possibility is by learning about them. So all the more so, there's an extra emphasis to learn about these parashios and to try to process the details as much as possible, even with that extra difficulty and to recognize that it gives us an opportunity that we need more in these areas than we do perhaps in the rest of the Torah, where it's describing things that we actually do put into practice. I would also emphasize that a lot of what we find in the details of the Mishkan, the Tidei Kahuna, and the Karbanos, a lot of it is symbolic. A lot of these details are meant to represent various ideas. Usually we don't necessarily know exactly what, and it's left to the Mephorshim, sometimes to Chazal, to tell us what they represent. But there's a lot of symbolism that we find in these details and in these Pesukim. And there also, so that gives us a special opportunity, because since we're not necessarily focusing on what to do right now, but 
as Hashem should be soon enough, but right now we're not focusing on what to do, but that gives us all the more opportunity to focus on the symbolism and to appreciate these messages that come from these psukim and that come from these descriptions and these details. And to kind of combine the two points, that especially if there is symbolism that's meant to teach us something, so that becomes the core of Odom at this point in time. We're not necessarily putting it into practice at the moment, so to fulfill the mitzvah to the extent that we can by learning about its symbolism and then taking the messages that we can get from that, that is a big part of the special opportunity that comes with these parshios. So there's a lot to think about and to keep in mind as we read these details. And before we actually see some of those details, so having said all that, so there is a, a medrash on this very first pasuk, on the very first words here, that does generalize to a lot of things we are familiar with. That the phrase, v'zehadavar, that begins this aliyah, so the medrash picks up on that language, which is somewhat grand and somewhat focusing great attention on, v'zehadavar, this is the matter, this is the thing. And the medrash has a number of comments that attach this to themes of this parsha and beyond. And that the idea of the big day kahuna, which the Pasuk in the first Aliyah tells us, they are meant they're meant to be for honor and for glory. So that concept of honor is a difficult concept in general, and especially because we get very mixed messages about honor and how to relate to it. And we're told on the one hand that we should not want covered, we should run away from covered, we shouldn't seek covered, that covered can be disruptive and distracting and problematic. And yet, at the same time, we are told also that kavod is a crucial tool towards the Torah and towards our parents and towards people who we respect, and that these begadim are meant to serve as instruments of kavod. So the nature of kavod is a little bit challenging to know how to relate to, and the Medrash here emphasizes that kavod is Torah and that all the kavod that's being described here is a function of Torah, and that's true for Aaron, for the kavod that he is receiving, it connects to his Torah, and that it's true also going back to Adam Harishon, who is the original Bechor, and who had some type of Kohen status also, and therefore the Begadim that God made for him in Gan Eden are somehow connected both to the Big Day Kahuna and to Big Day Shabbos. And then the Medrash throws in with all this that this is all in the source of Yabetz. Yabetz apparently is a reference to Asniel ben Knaz, who the Gemara in Tzmura tells us was an amazing Lamdan. And in the days after the Avelis of Moshe Rabbeinu, so many halachos were forgotten, and Asniel ben Knaz was able to restore them with his pilpul. So Asniel is really the hero of Lamdanim. You would think it would be a more popular name in the yeshivas because he was the ultimate lamdan. He was able to use his pilpul and his lamdish skills to restore halachos that were forgotten. So that's a special schus. He's also known as Yavetz. So all of this thrown together in this medrash is painting some kind of a picture. And the yeshiva of Karmiyavner of Goldvich, so he emphasized how they all relate to each other and that the role of kabod for us in the positive sense there is this external meaningless kavod, which is a distraction, which is harmful in many ways. But the kavod that we're talking about here means how we bring that which is panimi, that which is in, inside and inner and internal, 
and is hidden, but is holy, and how we make that expressed to the world, and how we sanctify the mundane by taking the tools of glory, whether it's these very embellished and evocative garments or the like, or whether it's the Beis HaMikdash, whether it's things like that, that are able to attract human attention and to direct its focus towards that which is internal and hidden. And that's the idea of kavod that we are created for. That all of creation, all of humanity, and that was where Adam HaRishon started the process, that we are here in order to give visibility and to give expression to that which is holy and concealed. And that's what this whole notion of L'chavot Tifares by the Kohanim is meant to represent, that they symbolize that which is holy and that which is pure. And we use our tools of granting glory, of granting Kavod to them, and the Big Day Kahuna represent that. And in that sense, the hero of Ulam who we mentioned, Asmiel ben Knaz, Yavet, so this is in his chus, because the whole notion of Tarish Shabbat is really reflective of that idea of being able to work hard on uncovering that which is within and to make that visible and to make that appreciated. And therefore, in his chus, so all of these begadim, whether it's Big Day Shabbos, which has the same kind of message, or the Big Day Kahuna, all of which are ways of using the human tools to give honor to that which is holy and that which is otherwise invisible, takes on a very special status and that is what Aaron is able to benefit from and to be a vehicle for and to pass on to his descendants. And all of that is connected to Torah because Torah is there in order to make the holy real, to make it something that is palpable and perceptible. And Torah Shabbat all the more so. And therefore, all of that comes together in this imagery. And that's what our parsha very much is focused on. Lutzkerav uh, and Sefer Naim has an additional comment about the idea of the Zehadavar, that that emphasis and that somewhat grand phrasing is a focus Hadavar Hadibur. So we know often Chazal, Davar, and Dibur are considered to be essentially the same idea. And since this is all happening through Moshe's instruction, it's a way of highlighting the power of speech and the special Kedusha that can be bestowed through one speech when it's used properly, and therefore that's also a part of the message. Chazal have a comment over here also, the Gemara in Zvachim, Adaf, where they comment that the Big Day Kahuna are taught adjacent to the Karbanos in order to make a point of the linkage between them. And that the idea is that just like the Karbanos are Mechaper, they bring about an atonement, so too the Big Day Kahuna are also effective in that way. And that's interesting to consider because they're not functioning in the same fashion. So the Karbanos, that's about a sacrifice, that's about atoning through giving up something, while the Big Day Kahuna, as we just mentioned, is a different kind of tool. It is a way of focusing attention on something, and is a way of bringing cover to something, and that's also apparently a tool of atonement as well, in a different sense. And just to give an example in the context of the Big Day Kahuna, but also highlights all these themes, that we have the notion that the meal is mechaper for Lashon Hara. And there it has its own imagery of turning the negative into the positive through our attention. So Chazal suggests 
that it has to do with the bells that were on the meal that make noise. And the Gemara says, that the misuse of speech should be atoned for through something that makes sound. It's, again, that imagery of taking what was there in a negative sense and turning it around in a positive sense. And it's very noteworthy also that if I say this is there to be mechaper for Lashon Hara, so your first thought probably is that we'll read in a few weeks, in a number of weeks, about Tajriya Mitzorah, about Saras, and Saras is traditionally understood to be a kapara for Lashon Hara. And the Gemara Erchen tells us that they're both true, that it depends whether it was successful or not, that if the Lashon Hara did harm, so then it needs to be atoned for through Saras, and if it didn't do harm, meaning it didn't have an impact on people's relation to each other, and nobody was too interested in what you were saying anyway, but it was just the Avera by itself, so then that gets atonement through the Me'il. And that's an important concept because it highlights the fact that Lashon Hara, for example, has different components to it. And if one actually is successful, so to speak, in a negative sense, of inflicting harm on people's relationships and sowing division in society, so then that needs to be atoned for through tsaras, which causes the offender to be separated from society, and to reflect, as the Gemara says, on how he, he inflicted this division on others, and therefore he gets divided, so that's a kapara in the midah keneged midah kind of fashion. And the idea that we find here is that if we don't necessarily have that impact, but we've had an issue of speaking that impacts, impacts our soul, that there's a stain on the neshama that comes from speaking Lashon Hara as well, and that's also a part of the Avera, so therefore that needs to be fixed through a mentality shift, that needs to be fixed through a awareness of what that does and how that's caused problems and how that has had an impact on how you think. And therefore, there's a kapara in that sense. It's interesting we find this in Hilchus Tshuva in general, that the Chafetz Chaim, for example, had a big discussion, it's a big machlokas, about whether one is obligated to ask Mechila for Lashon Hara if the subject, if the victim of Lashon Hara, didn't know that it was spoken about him. So the Chafetz Chaim was the Machmir, if you want to put it that way, on this one, and he said that one does have to ask Mechila even from somebody who doesn't know about it, and Shal Salamta disagreed with that very strongly. But if you look at the way the Chafetz Chaim expresses it, he doesn't say that any time you speak Lashon Hara, you have to ask Mechila and tell the person about it. But specifically, <coughs> if it was harmful, if it was the kind of Lashon Hara that actually took root and caused problems, so then you're going to have to ask for Mechila. But if it didn't, so then you just have to do tshuva by itself, the way we do for any other Avera. So that seems to reflect, again, that there's these two components, that there is the harm that one causes to someone else, and that needs its own kapara. But even if it, for whatever reason, miraculously doesn't cause harm to someone else, but it still has an effect on the speaker, and therefore the speaker needs to correct that, needs to do something in order to recalibrate, and therefore this notion of a kapara is one that you find here in that sense. And the imagery also of the meal, the meal had tcheles, the Schneer Cutler suggested that that was a part of what was meant to help fix the Lashon Hara, because the imagery of tcheles, the Gemara says in Menachos, is that the color of tcheles is dom 
It's similar to the ocean, and the ocean is similar to the rakia, to the sky, and that is similar to the color of the kiseh hakavod, so it all directs you towards the kiseh hakavod. And Rishnah Cutler suggested that when you say it like that, you have this step-by-step process of going to the Yam and then going to the heavens and going to the Kisei HaKavod, that it has the effect of basically a lens that is kind of zooming out and that you're seeing a bigger and bigger picture. And it is suggested that that's also to reorient your perspective, that if somebody speaks Lashon Hara about another, so usually it's because they don't really have a broad enough perspective, that they see one little detail about someone that is negative, and they feel that that represents everything, and they want to talk about that, and they don't really appreciate that the individual is far bigger than that, and far more complex, and there's a lot more to say and to appreciate other than this aspect that you're complaining about. So if one was able to have a broader perspective, so then one would be able to understand that they shouldn't be bothered by whatever detail it is that they are gossiping about. So therefore the meal is also, in that sense, mechaper for Lashon Hara. And this also, like we were saying, fits into the whole idea that the process of kapara that comes from the Big Day Kahuna comes from being able to focus on certain aspects of Averos and to appreciate what they do and what they draw upon from the issues that one may have in terms of their mentality or in terms of their neshama, and it's an opportunity to fix that through focusing on this. So that's, again, in light of what I was saying before, that even if we don't have Big Day Kahuna today, but we have the opportunity to study about them and to think about their imagery, and it's Davka that, which also accomplishes some of what the Big Day Kahuna themselves accomplished. So this is a way to, even in our generation, to be able to benefit from the Big Day Kahuna from thinking about these concepts and learning about their symbolism, and that itself may be the process by which they were able to bring about a kapara, and through our own efforts, we can harness that as well, which is a very fascinating idea. Uh, some of the haskamas that were printed on the Sefer Chafetz Chaim, so some of them mentioned that the Gemara Nerchen also says that Talmud Torah is a kapara, or perhaps a protection, against Lashon Hara. And these Maskimim, they called attention to the fact that, unfortunately, as much as we'd love that to be true, but we see that, believe it or not, sometimes there are Talmudic Chachamim who themselves engage in Lashon Hara. So it doesn't sound like Torah is necessarily such an absolute protection. So they suggested that it doesn't just mean any kind of Talmud Torah, but specifically focused Talmud Torah on the concept and the principles of Lashon Hara, that if one really internalizes them and appreciates them, so that will be effective in terms of countering Lashon Hara, either future or past. So that's, again, this idea that there's a lot we can accomplish in the real world through our learning and through our reflecting and through our internalizing these values, and this gives us a special opportunity. So with that in mind, so the rest of the Aliyah does talk about the details of these karbanos. So we have a par here of Shamshan and Paul Hirsch, and notes that the par, as an animal, represents the office of the kahuna. And the elim, and the rams here, the ram is a noble animal, and uh, that's why we call the Bayam the Raman. And they represent the uh, exalted and privileged positions of individuals 
of the Kohen himself and the fact that they are meant to be examples to others. And that's also consistent with the idea that we have Kohanim within the Jewish people and we also have the whole Jewish people we spoke about recently as uh, Mamlachas Kohanim, as Kohanim for the whole rest of the world. So that whole idea of uh, nobility that's meant to serve as an example so that is represented by the Elim specifically. So we'll just uh, make a few comments about some of the other psukim before saying a little bit about Parsha Zacher. So the next Pasuk tells about all the different types of bread, the different loaves and how they were prepared. And then we put them all in one basket and that the basket is brought together with the animals. And the Tziv comments that the purpose of the basket, that's the benefit to Kohanim because any crumbs that would fall in, so that would be for the Kohanim. And then we bring Aaron and his sons to the door, and we wash them, and we take these to Godin, and they are put on to the Kohanim. And uh, here we see in Pasuk Vav, there is a phrase here, Nezer HaKodesh. Nezer HaKodesh was the name of a sefer on Kachim, Moshe Rosen, but here it refers to the crown, the holy crown, which we understand to be the tzitz. And uh, Zion the Torah has a comment here that this imagery of a crown, that here, this is to convey to us that the Kohen, he's wearing a crown, so to speak, he doesn't have any actual power over the people. But just like when it comes to a king, so the real power of royalty comes from the service to a Baruch Hu and service to the people and from the learning. So, so too, the Kohen has that same royalty to him, that same Malucha, and that's what's meant to be conveyed here. Shamshin Rufal Hirsch has a comment that the Nazar here is from the Lushan of Hafrasha and separation and holiness that's associated with the Kohen, and that's how he and others understand the language of a Nazir, that a Nazir and a Nazir is the same idea, that they are separated for a holy purpose, so Tafyomri is learning Nazir now, so those are somewhat, some degree of synergy, to connect to that idea that the Nazir represents, if you bring the words together, a crown, a royalty that comes from being separated for a holy cause, and that's certainly the idea of uh, Kohanim as well. So the phrase Nazir HaKodesh perhaps represents that. So then the Aliyah goes on, we'll skip around a little bit, telling us more about this process and how the Begadim are put on and sanctified and how the Karbanos are brought. And then just to kind of skip to the end of the Aliyah, so we find Pasuk Gedal, it says, Besar HaPar, Bias Oro, Bias Pirsho, Tisraf Ba'esh, Mechutz Lamachane, Chatasu. So here it shall be completely burnt. And Rashi comments that this is the only Chatasu Sona that is burnt. And why that is, is discussion of the Rishonim, the Ramban explains, because it's coming as a kapara on the Chet Egel, so therefore it's treated in this way. The Chizkuni suggests that it's treated like the Minchas Kohen, because this is the Korban of the Kohen himself. And Rav Rabban HaRambam explains in a more pragmatic way that if we're otherwise supposed to be eaten by the Kohanim, so at that point, we haven't sanctified the Kohanim yet, so the one acting as a Kohen is Moshe Rabbeinu, so he's going to have to eat the whole thing by himself, which perhaps wouldn't have been so reasonable. So therefore, it's a kula on him. But in any event, so that's all burnt. And here, as we get to the last Pasuk, the Pasuk in Ches, so we have some works here which are familiar to us, but the Rishonim here comment on where they come from. So it's worth taking a moment to consider that a little bit. So we have here the Ektarita is called Ha'ayo Hamid Beicha Olahu, Ba'asham Reach Nichoach Yishal Ha'ashamhu. 
So here the idea of an ola, so we know an ola is something that goes up completely, it's kula kolo, it goes, all goes up to shamayim, and the language of a reich nichoach, of a sweet smell, so here nichoach, Ibn Ezra says, is from the language of menucha, and it brings pleasant atmosphere and satisfaction, and he goes on to explain here that it's crucial that we don't understand, we don't get a misunderstanding here, which is easy to get, and certainly in other religions has sometimes been the impression, and very much should not be how we're interpreting it. And we talk about a reich nichoach, that the idea is that God enjoys the smell and enjoys the taste, and this is there in order to provide him benefit of that type, but rather it's more symbolic of the idea that this is yashar in God's eyes, that this is something that is right and therefore pleasing in the divine sense. The Ralbag has an important comment here which connects to what we started off with, and it's a good way to end off this aliyah, that the Ralbag says that the purpose of the strong smell that's associated with the karbonos is so that the makriv, the one who's bringing it, should be woken up by this big smell and should be focused on what's happening and the symbolism of what's going on. So to parallel what we started with, the importance of the symbolism of the Karbanos and the idea that it triggers a certain kind of awareness in those who are involved with it, that's crucially important. And that's what the Ralbag is telling us, that the Reich Nichoach is for that purpose, is meant to bring about that result. And that's a very powerful idea, which again is something we can still make use of, even today, even without being able to actually perceive the Reich Nichoach, but uh, concepts are still relevant to us in this idea of La Hashem. So Unkulus translates it as uh, for Hashem, and uh, Ramban Rambam similarly, that it's about doing the Avoda before Hashem. But uh, Rashi has a comment, which also sounds like the Gemara in the beginning is Vachim, that La Hashem means L'Shem Hashem, that this should all be for the purpose of God. And we know that when it comes to Kurbanos, we spoke about this a little bit earlier in the year, and we talked about L'Shema, but the different kinds of connotations of something being Lishma. And when it comes to Karbanos, this is one of the crucial Makshavos, that we are doing it for a purpose. And that we could understand especially that it's not just about going through some motions, and it's certainly not about giving God a good meal, as if that's all we need to do is to provide him with something that he will enjoy in that sense. So that's that is not what Karbanos are about. Quite the opposite, but it's all about the Shem Hashem. It's all about helping us to focus and to understand what the process of life is and how we are coming closer through that process. And the more we're able to internalize that and to appreciate that, the greater kiyum that it has. So to transition from that to another point of internalizing and focusing. So this week we have Parsha Zacher. We have a mitzvah to remember and to focus on something and to internalize something. And just to say a few words about the, the history and how that plays out. So when it comes to Parsha Zacher, so we make an announcement to everyone they should come to shul. You should make sure to come to shul this Shabbos and that even if you don't come any other time, you should come this time because Kriya Torah is Minha Torah this week and no other time except maybe next week. That's a different discussion. So we'll talk about that maybe next week. But as far as this week, the idea that it's an obligation in the Torah to come to shul is an interesting one. It's a little bit of a process to get to that conclusion. The assumption being that since we're laning Parsha Zacher, and that's a mitzvah in Torah, Zacher HaSasher HaSalacha Amalek, so therefore that's the one time that there is a Torah directive 
to come to shul in order to fulfill that din. So there is a whole process to get to that conclusion because, yes, true, it is a clear pasuk in Pashas Kisetse that we'll read, that Zachar Asher Asalacha Amalek, but how do we know necessarily that that translates into everything that we're going to do? And that the idea that it has to be Davka B'tzibor with a Sefer Torah every year at this time. So where do we get all that from? So that, we have to put the pieces together. Not all the Rishonim necessarily agreed with all that, that all of that is Menha Torah. And the Gemara in Masachis Megillah, Dafi Chaz, does tell us that it has to be verbal, at least. That the Gemara says you could have thought that it's enough just to think about Amalek, that just to have a mental remembrance could have been sufficient to fulfill this idea of Zachar. So it says, Gemara, no, Tamalomar lo Sishkach. The Pasuk says, Zachar al Tishkach, that we should remember and we shouldn't forget. So that double language is to tell us that it has to be spoken, it has to be out loud. Hi. Is there any sense of, like, it has to be this time? Like, I, I know it's certain. So I want to try to explain that. Okay, so fine. Let's so. see how the parts come together here. So first, just what is it that has to be before we know how often it has to be or when it has to be. So the idea that it has to be verbal, so that is from the Gemara, that it has to be out loud. Uh, the idea that it has to be with a minion is a little bit less obvious. And that we really only find in the Rush and in the Chumas Adeshen. That there is a, a Rush in the Sachas Brachos that suggests the Gemara talks about needing a minion for a Meshachar and Ebed, apparently, to fulfill a quorum for a big mitzvah, and it sounds like from the Rashi is talking about the mitzvah of Zechir HaSamalek, although there's some discussion about what exactly he means. And this is also referenced in a tshuva of Shumas who was asked, or way he presents it, he was asked, that there was an individual who lives in a small town without a minion, and he plans on going to a bigger place where there is a minion for Purim, so he could hear the Megillah. So the question was, if he's already going for Purim, should he also go earlier so he should be there for Shabbos to hear Parsha Zohar? And the Shumas Adeshin's response was that, yes, not only should you go earlier to be there for that, but it's more important to be there for Shabbos Zohar than it is to be there for Purim, because when it comes to Purim, so the Megillah doesn't require a minion, at least uh, Bismanum. So yes, that's a very important mitzvah, but you can do that without a minion. But when it comes to Parsha Zacher, so that you need a minion for, so even more important that you should be there for the Shabbos than to be there for Purim. So that's where you get a little bit of a sense that uh, requires a minion. There is also other Rishonim who do talk about the idea of there being a, a Kriya regarding a Malik, because some of the Rishonim raise the issue. Tosfus and a bunch of other Rishonim talk about the fact that the Gemara tries to figure out what the halacha is regarding Torah, whether Torah b'chol lashon or b'ruach b'lashon kodesh Can you only use lashon kodesh or can you use any language? So the Rishonim is trying to figure out for what purpose, why are we asking this? Because we're not asking about learning Torah, because learning Torah we understand we could do in different languages, and we can't be asking about kriyasa Torah, because the Gemara quotes Psukim to this effect, and Kriyasa Torah is generally a Dinder Abanan. It's usually not something that the Torah obligates, so it's hard to say that the Pasuk in Chumash is interpreted to teach us about how a Dinder Abanan should be fulfilled. So Tosus there and other Rishonim say, well, yes, Lainim in general is Rabbanan, but there are a few Krios that we have that 
are minhat Torah, and that would then be subject to this discussion of whether it has to be davka blush and hakodesh or not. So among the list, Tosa says Zacher, that the notion of a malik is an obligation in HaTorah, so that also supports the idea that it's not just about talking about a malik or remembering a malik, but specifically laying the section about a malik is a dim in HaTorah. So we have this notion then perhaps that for laying this idea is a dim in HaTorah and to do it B'tzibur. Some suggest that the reason it should be B'tzibur is because it's a detail of the Muhammad against the Malik, and Muhammad is a mitzvah on the tzibur, it's not a mitzvah that's dealt with by individuals, so therefore this mitzvah of remembering a Malik in that context of Muhammad should also be done with tzibur. And the idea that it should come from a Sefer Torah specifically, so some suggest that that connects to the Pasuk in Parshish Bishalach, where it says, so maybe it should be specifically the Sefer, for that reason. So, okay, so it could be that there's a notion specifically to read Amalek from a Sefer, presumably a Kashra Sefer, even though there was some discussion, maybe we don't know it necessarily has to be a Kashra Sefer Torah, but presumably most assume yes, so to learn it from a Kashra Sefer Torah, and B'tzibor, so apparently there's a case to be made that all of that is a mitzvah and HaTorah. Uh, still, not everyone agrees, and the Rambam writes that all the Dalit Parshios are Midrabanan, including Zacher. It sounds like the Ramban agreed with that view as well. But okay, so there's still uh, many who would maintain that there is a notion of Kriya B'tzibor that is necessary in Torah. It's an unusual kind of obligation, maybe unique, because that would mean that it's a Chovas Hayachid that has to be done B'tzibor. We don't have so many things like that. We talk about Kriya Satora in general. So that we relate to, according to most, it's also Machlokah, but we relate to Kriya Satora as a Chobas HaTzibor. It's an obligation on the community to lane, not an obligation on the individual. And then most assume that if an individual misses a Kriya Satora, he doesn't have a personal obligation to make it up. Uh, Salvechik was Machmir, not like that, because he followed the view of his grandfather, Chaim Brisker, but most assume that it's a Chiyuv on the Tzibor. And you have something like Megillah, we mentioned before, it doesn't need a minion. So Megillah is a Chovah Sayachit. But when it comes to Zacher, apparently, according to this formulation, it comes out that it's a Chovah Sayachit Hanaseh B'Tzibur, an unusual kind of mitzvah, that it's an obligation on the individual that needs to be done in the context of a Tzibur. So, okay, but if you grant all of that, so still, how do you know that it should be now? How do you know how often it should be at all? The Torah doesn't give us any clue as to how frequently it should be done. So how do we get this conclusion that it should be done every year on the Shabbos before Purim? So there's a notion that's associated with the Chassam Sofer that if the Torah tells us lo that we're not allowed to forget, so maybe that's a clue that maybe there's a period of time after which people are more likely to forget something, and therefore we're obligated to do this at every interval that's before the point at which we may come to forget it. So what's that period of time? So he came up with the idea that there's a sheer shikha, that there is this measurement of how long it starts to get before someone becomes to, starts to forget something. So that is 12 months. How do you know that it's 12 months? So there's two statements in Chazal that may or may not be related to this. There's the Gemara in Brachos that says, Ein hameis min halev, elo that a mace doesn't start 
to be forgotten until after 12 months after he dies. And the Gemara in the second paragraph of Bab Metziah, which says that Stam Yeish is Yudbeis Chodesh, that after 12 months, somebody loses something, after 12 months, they start to give up hope of getting it back. So then perhaps the idea is that every 12 months we have to have a booster shot. Basically, we have to be reminded of this so that we are able to reflect and to make sure that we don't forget. So if that's the case, so then there were some who brought up the issue, maybe we have a Chumrah, the Maram Sheikh, who's a Talmud of the Sam Sofer, and he's one who has this whole who has this whole tradition here that that's the issue, and he also brings up this problem, so coming up we have a leap year. So when you have a leap year, so they add an extra month, right at the worst time for this, they add an extra month right before other, and the other that's celebrated as Purim with Parsha's offer becomes the second other. So if that's the case, so then between this year and next year, it's going to be 13 months between Zacher and the next Zacher. So if the Shir Shecha means that it has to be every 12 months, so then maybe that's a problem. So there are some who suggest that maybe in years like that, that you have to have an awareness to take care of this during the summertime, that when they read Parshish Kisait saying in the summer, and they get up to this, so then you should have intent to be Yotze, the mitzvah of hearing Parshish Zacher at that time. And then there's a question of Sipes Frank has a tshuva, and I'll just talk about, is it necessary for the Valkari to know that? So maybe if you're an individual and you're going to shul and Parshish Kisait say, so you should be aware to have your mind to be Yotze Parsha Zacher, but is it Balkari you have to know? Is it that kind of mitzvah that you have to have Kavana to be Motsiyu? Or is it enough that he's laning whatever he's laning, and then you can hear it, and that should be sufficient. So that was a discussion, which also goes to the whole nature of this Chobas HaYachar, Chobas idea, and to what extent it is that the Balkari is actually being Motsiyu in that sense. Hi. Can you just fulfill your obligation in this summer reading? I mean, if it's really a do-re-sa... Yeah, that's what you're saying, that since that's an option. So... Well, why don't we just all do that? Why don't we just all do that? So that's a question in general, so that's also going to indicate there's probably something more. And it could be that we do that for other things, because we also have a mitzvah, if we count six zechiros. Somewhat of a question, but the most common count is that there are six zechiros, and among those six, there is Egel Hazav, the next parasha, and there is Miriam. So how come we don't have a Shabbos Parshas Ego? How come we don't have a Shabbos Parshas Miriam? How come we don't have the other things that we have for the Zechiros when it comes to Shabbos and when it comes to Yitzhiyah's Mitzrayim? We have a lot devoted to remembering those things. But when it comes to Miriam, when it comes to Ego Azov, we don't seem to have a whole Shabbos devoted to remembering that. So Magan Avram suggests that nowadays we have a yearly cycle. It wasn't always the case. The Gemara says that in Eretz Yisrael they used to have a triennial cycle. It used to take them three years to finish the Torah, but now we finish the whole Torah every year. So why shouldn't that be enough? So maybe Maker Hadin, it is enough. And when it comes to Miriam and Egel, so those involve Averos, and we don't want to, we'd rather forget about the Averos, but we have a list of remember. So, okay, so we do it minimal way. So since we're laning all year anyway, we're laning all the whole Torah every year anyway, so that'll be enough. But when it's not about our Bizonia, it's not about our Averos, so then we're able to take a little more initiative, and it could be then that you're right, then we could be Yotze then, although still we would need to have a tradition how to do it because it wasn't always the case. But nowadays that we have the laning throughout, so it is presumably a way to do that. And indeed, that's what some suggest when you have this 13-month 
issue. So are those zakhars on the seaboard supposed to zakhar as Amalek on the Yachid? It doesn't seem like it, because even zakhar as Amalek is not on the... I think as opposed to that's in the yacht, everything else in the two. Because the other things, like no one's, I mean, I guess maybe we're just lacking, but no one's Well, that's a good question. It seems like maybe on some level we are lacking. And the truth is, maybe we'll find opportunities to revisit some of these other ones, but it is a, a question how they are so differently treated from each other and what to do about that. So maybe that should have more awareness, and maybe we'll have the opportunity to come back to some okay, of those. Can I ask a miracle question? Yeah. What's your one's kavan of you on listening to Zohar So let's try to see how much we can say about that, because it's an important question, because it's also possibly somewhat of a difference, the way it's portrayed. So it could be that it's about reminding us of the nature of this attack, and so we should be constantly motivated to fight against the Malik, and that's what God says in the end of Parshish Peshalach, that I don't have any complete throne until a Malik is conquered, and we have to remember to keep that alive, but it could be that it has other elements to it as well, so let's try to just to say a little bit more before we run out of time. But this idea that it has to be every 12 months and the challenge that that poses to a Shadamur Baris, so that's one approach to say you should have Kavana during Parshish Kiseitzeh, but others didn't think it was such a problem. And I uh, really pointed out when he uh, gave a shear here about that topic in general, that presumably it doesn't really mean 12 months literally. It means that that's the cycle of the year. So when you reach the same point next year, so then it kind of cleans out the cash, and it's like there's a new, a new page being turned, and you tend to forget what happened before, a year before. But it means when you hit the same point in the year, things kind of reset. So if the year happens to be 13 months and not 12 months, so then it's going to be 13 months. And in fact, otherwise, as some point out, that if you're not going to accept an explanation like that, so it's not just about leap years, I mean, any year it could be that from one zakhar to the next, it's not exactly 12 months, it could be 12 months in a few days. So if we're really going to be so makbid that it should be exactly 12 months, so then you're going to get into a problem even in a normal year. So presumably it really means the cycle of the year, and that even in a leap year, it's also true. We don't necessarily have to drive ourselves crazy to find another way to do it. But in addition to that, there were those who challenged the whole idea of the, the whole notion of the Shir Shekha, so the Sabarav has a truth about this in the Gibriol, and he notes that he doesn't think the proofs are so compelling. The idea that in it doesn't mean that a person is automatically forgotten after 12 months. It means that when you have somebody who people are trying to forget, they're trying to move on with the grief, and it's a big issue they're trying to overcome. So then, after 12 months, it starts to work. But it doesn't mean that if it was a mitzvah to remember something, you would forget it after 12 months. And the idea of yayish, that you give up hope of finding a lost item, doesn't mean you forgot about it, it means you gave up hope, but it's not necessarily connected to shikha. So some didn't accept this whole idea of the Shir Shekha, and rather, like the Sabarov explains, that the idea is that Chazal put this in and made an extra kiyum here because there's a thematic connection to Purim, that Haman was the descendant of Amalek, and this war against Haman is a continuation of the war against Amalek. So therefore, it seems appropriate that we should have this Zechira at this time. Uh, the assumption many have is that women are obligated in this as well, 
And that was also somewhat of a machlokis. It seems that Meikr Hadin, it's hard to see why they shouldn't be obligated. We just established that there isn't any clear time for it, so it's not a mitzvah to say Shahazman Grama, and it would seem like women are obligated. The problem is the Sefer Echinuch says women are not obligated. So that prompts a whole discussion why that should be. And there are some who suggest that maybe it's because it's a mitzvah of Muhammad and that women don't go out to Muhammad. So it's been a highly controversial point in the history of the founding of the state, the question of drafting of women, having women in the army. So here the assumption is that women aren't going to go out to Muhammad. So therefore a mitzvah that's connected to Muhammad perhaps should be only for the men. Others point out, however, that the Mishnah says in Zoda that when you have a Mohammed's mitzvah, so then afilu kala michupasa, then everyone goes out, even a bride from her chuppah goes out to fight a Mohammed's mitzvah, and the Malik is a Mohammed's mitzvah, so it doesn't sound like women are peturas from Mohammed's Malik. So that's a big question, and many do assume that women are chayavos, and it's brought to the name of Nassim Adler, who was the Rebbe of Sofer, that he was very careful to make sure that all the women in his household would go to hear Parsha Zacher, and indeed that's uh, the way many are indeed, Makbid, that they should hear Parsha Zacher, even if they're not always able to make it to Shul, so they try very hard to make it for Zacher, and many Shuls, they have extra readings in order to accommodate the women, so that's a discussion of itself, and Rabbi Willig suggested, you could read this in the Bata Yosef, on Purim, when it arrives here on these shores, that thought that then sometimes it's hard to gather a minion when you're trying to have a reading especially for the women, and we start off saying that this has to be done with Zibor. So he thought that the special Kriyas that are being done to be mostly the women perhaps don't need a minion, because if the whole idea is that the minion is supposed to represent that aspect of Zibor, and that that's not what's at play in the assumption that women are chayavos, so then perhaps it could be read for them without a minion present, which is a interesting idea. So just to say one more thought about what Amalek represents. So Amalek on one level, and this is something which resonates with us very powerfully, unfortunately, these past few weeks in a particularly unfortunate way, is that we are feeling, once again, and to such a terrible degree, the scourge of terrorism and terrorism really representing a complete hefgeris and a complete abandoning of all normal standards of behavior and of all the rules of war. And we see how that kind of an attitude is completely incompatible with life. And so the Kaddish Baruch was saying that his melucha cannot be complete when this mentality is out there in the world because Amalek does represent this idea of terrorism that they attack the they attack the weak and uh, the disadvantage from behind. There's no concern here for the rules of war. So Amalek represents that kind of abandonment of any kind of uh, social standard and this attack towards the defenseless and the vulnerable, which is representative of terrorism. And the message that's being conveyed here is that that kind of approach is simply incompatible with a functioning world and with the Kaddish Baruch Hu's chair. So we can't have terrorism and that mentality present at all, and it can't be practiced from any side, Mahabil, and it can't be something that is a part of our world culture. That whole mentality is alien to us, and that's what seems to be also what the whole message of Mechia Samalik is. It's the Mechia of the attitude of Amalek. 
And so that notion that the whole nation is swept up in it because it's not necessarily coming as an onesh, but it's coming as just a mitzias, as a reflection that that kind of a attitude is incompatible with life. And it's more about the mentality than it is about anything uh, genetic or racial here. And the Rambam's position was that we the Kabbalah from a Malik. So it's theoretically possible for an individual to leave the culture of a Malik, but the culture itself is highly problematic, and all the more so when we see the way the world and the way Kal Yisrael is suffering right now, this notion that this mentality of a complete abandonment of all decency and a complete savagery towards innocence and towards people who otherwise are vulnerable and defenseless, that's a mentality that we have to be opposed to the Kol Kolchenu, and that this mitzvah of Zechira is to make sure that we really internalize that and understand that there really can't be any space for that in a world in which a Baruch Hu's presence is going to shine brightly. So hopefully we should, in this chus of learning these parashios, as we said, that the symbolism should become real, so we should be able to have the kapara of the Big Day Kahuna and all the lessons of the Big Day Kahuna even without able to wear them, and uh, we should be able to have a world that is free of war, or a world that is free of terrorism, a world that is free of the victimization of innocence, and that a Kaddish Baruch Hu's throne should be able to be present in its fullest sense. Uh, speaking of that, we should now have a We have some of the